Our service begins with the apostolic greeting on page two of your worship bulletin. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. In peace, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the reign of God and for peace throughout the world, for the unity of all, let us pray to the For your people here who have come to give you praise for the strength to live your word, let us pray to the The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. God of love, giver of life, you know our frailties and failings. 
Give us your grace to overcome them. Keep us from those things that harm us and lead us on the path of restoration to new life through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The first reading today comes from Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. Ezekiel challenges those who think that they cannot change because of what their parents were or did, or who they think they can't reverse their own previous behavior. God insistently invites people to turn and live. A reading from the book of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Know that all lives are mine. The life of the parent as well as the life of the child is mine. It is only the person who sins that shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is unfair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? When the righteous turn away from their righteousness and commit iniquity, they shall die for it. For the iniquity that they have committed, they shall die again. When the wicked turn away from the wickedness they have committed and do what is lawful and right, they shall save their life because they considered and turned away from all the transgressions that they had committed. They shall surely live. They shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is unfair. O house of Israel, are my ways unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, all of you according to your ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, otherwise iniquity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed against me and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then and live. Word of God, word of life.
The second reading is from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 13. As part of a call for harmony rather than self-seeking, Paul uses a very early Christian hymn that extols the selflessness of Christ in his obedient death on the cross. Christ's selfless perspective is to be the essential perspective we share as the foundation for Christian accord, a reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. <clears throat> Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his great pleasure. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say, from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say, of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet." 
So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God the creator and source of our lives, and from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. <clears throat> Last week, some of you heard me preach a sermon that wasn't written, or rather didn't come from human origin, to use the gospel's language. It was produced by Chat GPT. It was a write-up based on sermons I've previously given using AI. After the service, I was encouraged. I was encouraged because people noticed the difference between a robot priest and an actual pastor. They said, that sermon was too short. <laughs> That's not you. They said, that sermon lacks depth. That's not you. And several said, that sermon didn't challenge us. And that's not you. Well, today I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you with something some of you may have never heard before. I'm going to call into question the very reality of heaven and hell from a Christian, biblical perspective. God, I hope this isn't my last sermon. <laughs> like, that's it, Peterson, we're done. <laughs> Will you enter the kingdom of God? Will you enter the kingdom of God? That's an unusual question, isn't it? I'll bet not a single person here today has ever been asked this question. And with good reason. Modern Christians have grown accustomed to thinking of salvation in terms of heaven and hell. Instead of asking whether a person will enter the coming kingdom of God, we ask, and I hear this sometimes at funerals, will that person go to heaven after he or she dies? Will they be saved? 
not only from what the Apostle Paul calls the wrath of God in this world, but, the, but from the fire and eternal torment of hell, that is, the weeping and gnashing of teeth in the next. We see the question on billboards, even here in Seattle. We hear it from preachers on television. And some of us, myself included, have been asked, if, have been asked it by concerned friends or relatives, street preachers or evangelists, are you saved? Will you go to heaven after you die? One of those conversations I remember vividly, I was in a coffee shop when I was in graduate school, uh, a big collection of Luther's writings with a picture of Martin Luther was on the table in the coffee shop. Someone came up to me, sparked a it sparked a conversation. By the end of it, I learned from her that she grew up an evangelical thinking that Lutherans were imposters. We're not real Christians. Why? Because we haven't focused on the need to accept Jesus for the sake of going to heaven after we die. Imposters. I like that. Now, the reason we think and speak in these terms, that is, of salvation in terms of heaven and hell, is that we've been conditioned by centuries of Christian tradition. From the European preoccupation with hell throughout the Middle Ages, as evident in the artwork of the time, as well as Dante's Inferno, to the revivals that swept through the American colonies beginning in the 1730s, we have been conditioned to think of salvation vertically. Heaven is up there and hell is beneath our feet which I think would be the fellowship hall if I'm not mistaken. Heaven is up there, hell is down there, and we are in the middle. The only way in turn to go up instead of going down is, as I said, to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, the words of which never appear in the entire 27 books of the New Testament. Hmm. Now the problem with defining salvation as going to heaven after we die is that with just a few exceptions, it's totally foreign to the New Testament, not to mention our creeds. Consider the Apostle Paul. Do you not know, he asks in 1 Corinthians 6, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Indeed, Paul never mentions hell in any of the letters he wrote, including our second reading, where we hear of how Jesus will, how every knee will bend to Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's no reference to suffering or hellfire there. Paul's simply referring to what the Jews would have called Sheol, or the abode of the dead. For Paul, we are saved, moreover, not from hell, but from death. As Romans 5.12 puts it, sin made it possible for death to enter the world. Jesus overcame death 
in and through the cross and resurrection. On those rare occasions where Paul does mention heaven, as he does in Philippians 3, he says it's from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the same thing in Matthew 21, our gospel reading for today. I want you to hear what I've said. I've argued so far that kingdom talk belongs to the New Testament, but the language of heaven and hell are rare, if not for the most part entirely absent from the New Testament. That's pretty crucial. Let's see if we can work this out. The first part of our reading today focuses on how Jesus outsmarts the chief priests and the elders. That is, the religious leaders of the day, men in positions of power. Jesus then proceeds to tell a parable, one that illustrates how, in God's emerging kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. Those who have power and prestige will lose it, and those who lack these things will gain it. The story concludes with a prediction. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. You hear there what Jesus says? There's no reference to heaven or hell. Instead, everyone mentioned will be entering the forthcoming kingdom. That is, the tax collectors and prostitutes followed by the chief priests and elders. Those at the bottom of the social economic hierarchy of the time will go first, Jesus says. Those with power and prestige, on the other hand, will be divested or emptied of their power and prestige. In figurative language, they'll go to the back of the line. Justice will be served. Equality and harmony will reign. Dignity and the humanity of the lowly, the despised, and the oppressed, not to mention the outsider, will be restored as the old all-too-human hierarchies of rich over poor and male over female crumble and fade away. Such is the nature of the upside-down kingdom of God, a transformation of society that for Jesus, like Paul, lies ahead of us instead of above us. Who then will enter the coming kingdom of God? That, that's the question Jesus asks and answers in today's parable. It's not whether we're going to heaven or hell after we die. The good news is that no one in Jesus' parable will be excluded from God's coming kingdom. Justice will be served, moreover, insofar as hierarchy itself will be dismantled. Everyone, in short, will be on the same level before God. To divorce Jesus from the socio-political implications of his message is to ignore the New Testament, 
especially as given in our gospel reading for today. Now, out of, now as a community of faith, we should be asking a related question. How can we as a congregation anticipate the coming kingdom Jesus proclaims? How can we live or lean into it? How can we practice and rehearse for it in our life together so that we might offer the world a counterexample of what it means to live as one in Christ, in peace with one another, and in harmony with one another? For an answer to that question, I invite you to turn to our second reading for today. Here the Apostle Paul gives a blueprint in the present life for the life of the world to come. Listen closely to verses 3 through 4. Do nothing, Paul writes, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. That has no place in corporate America. Let each of you look not to your own interests, that has no place in a me-first society, but to the interests of others. What does this mean? Paul is saying that we as Christians should treat one another with dignity and respect. We should regard everyone in this congregation as our equal, instead of giving into what a professor of mine in seminary called the sin of better thanness. And we should give up whatever we need, we might, whatever need we have for power or control for our way or the highway. Why? Because that's the example Jesus gave us. Listen closely to verses 5 through 7. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul writes, who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. In 2 Corinthians it says he became poor so that we might become rich, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. This is one of the most fascinating passages in all of scripture, and it's one of my personal favorites. Here Paul speaks about how God divests God's self of power in Christ to become one with us in the world. There is no top-down relationship here, no looking up. Instead, as Kelly Fryer, a Lutheran author, puts it, God always comes down. God meets us where we are. God gives God's self up for our sake. God empties God's self. God becomes poor. God sacrifices God's self so that we might be one with God and God might be one with us. This incredible passage is not even the work of Paul. You'll notice in your bulletin that the formatting changes when you get to verse 6. That's because Paul is quoting what most scholars believe to be the, a hymn of the first generation of Christian believers. So this is actually what believers were taught and practiced as they sang in house churches across the Mediterranean world. By giving up authority, Jesus here gains a new kind of authority, a kind that conquers hearts through love instead of other people through force or manipulation. 
a kind of soft power, if you will, made perfect, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in and through weakness. There is no talk of any such God in any of the other world religions of which I am aware. God may appear to be human in some of these other religions, but God empties God's self to become human fully, totally, and completely in the Christian religion alone. Our hymn of the day by Susan Briel captures this paradox. That is the paradox of gaining power after giving up power, the upside down type of power beautifully. Holy God, she writes, holy and glorious, you come as one among us. You bend to us in weakness, she writes, Emptied, drawing on the language of our second reading, you draw near and we behold your power. Notice her language. Tyrants bend others to their will. God in Christ, however, does the opposite. He bends to us in weakness, such that God above us becomes and remains God with us in life and history. There's a theologian of the 19th century, Horace Bushnell, who talks about how there is a cross in the heart of God forever. Our hymn of the day accordingly uses the present tense when speaking of God's humbling in Christ. It's ongoing. It wasn't once upon a time or merely for a season, as our gathering hymn put it. It's all the time. Whenever we humble ourselves before one another, whenever we resist the need to control others through force or manipulation, whenever we reject the desire to bend them to our will or think only of ourselves, whenever we respect each other and treat each other with dignity, we not only do as Christ did, we anticipate the coming of God's kingdom he proclaimed in this little community of faith we call Queen Anne Lutheran Church. God's ways are not our ways. While Joel Osteen, America's favorite preacher, tells us to stop looking at our weaknesses and start declaring our strengths, the Apostle Paul suggests otherwise. And God said to me, he writes, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. That's the Christian teaching. Not that we go to heaven after we die, but that we await the coming kingdom of God the very kingdom for which we pray every Sunday at the end of the Lord's Prayer. That kingdom will consist of a transformation, not only of society, but of the entire cosmos, according to the Apostle Paul. We prefigure that transformation when we treat each other with respect, when we humble ourselves the way God in Christ humbled God's self for us. Will you inherit or enter the kingdom of God? I'd love to see that on a billboard. It's not the question we're used to asking, is it? Yet it's the question Jesus asks of us. 
That's because he, like Paul, understood salvation in horizontal rather than vertical terms. The kingdom, society and cosmos transformed, begins with us as evident in the way we treat one another in our community of faith. It culminates in the full and total realization of God's upside down kingdom at the end of history. May we lean into that kingdom by humbling ourselves before others, by giving up the need to always be right, by treating others, especially those less fortunate, with kindness and hospitality instead of judgment and disdain. In so doing, may we offer the world a glimpse of the coming kingdom of God, and may we enter that kingdom in the life of the world to come. And all God's people said, Amen. can we try that again? And all God's people said, Amen. much better.
Let us now confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page eight of your worship bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only. Don't be tricked by our words here. When it says he ascended into heaven, remember that it is from there, according to the Apostle Paul, that he will return. For the prayers of the church, we invite you to be seated or kneel, whichever your preference. Remembering the caring and generous works of God, we pray for the church, creation, and the needs of our neighbors. We put our trust in you as we pray for the church. Give bishops, pastors, deacons, cantors, and teachers the gifts of wisdom and discernment be with them in bold truth and faithful witness. Lord, in your mercy, lead us to reclaim our role as stewards of your creation. Help us to be mindful of the impact our choices have on the environment. Make us advocates for healthy waterways, habitats, and air. Lord, in your mercy, Lead us in justice as we pray for those in government, the military, city councils, and other positions of authority. Give leaders humble and willing hearts looking to the needs of others. Lord, in your mercy, trusting your goodness, we pray for all caregivers and people who are sick or suffering in any way, especially those who feel isolated and alone. Give them encouragement and consolation and inspire us to be your hands and feet so that we might reach out to them. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for this congregation. Inspire us to focus on our strengths and to see new possibilities for our ministry. Lord, in your mercy, for whom or what else do the people of God pray? Pray for those who are struggling uh, to find work or challenges in their families, that they just lean to you, Lord, for peace and comfort and guidance. Lord, in your mercy. Your Lord. 
Loving God, we ask your blessing upon each person gathered here today, that you accompany them in their struggles, that you be present to them in their joys, that you give them faith and lead them into your kingdom. We pray especially for Lisa's husband, Scott, for Sally, Judy's friend, for Peggy's colleague, Kirsten, for the family of Bill and Janet, for Bill Kavanaugh, for Dotsie, for Heidi, for Dennis, for the family of Pat, Heidi's friend, for the family of Dan, Heidi's cousin. We pray for Matt's mother, Jeannie, upon her cancer diagnosis and treatment. We pray as well for Chris and Jackie in this regard, for the father of Athena, for Lena and Lena's brother, Ivor, for the Ritchie family, for Matthew, for John's friend and for his mother, for Pat, her sister Donna, and niece Kathleen. We pray for Lisa, Carol, Mary, Hildy, Denny, Barb, Richard, Jean, Jan, Awatosh, Mulageta. We pray for Richard Weeks. We celebrate with Kirsty Melby, and we pray for Sally's great nephew, Finley. Lord, in your mercy. We give thanks for all the saints who died knowing the promise of your salvation in the life of the world to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Remember us according to your steadfast love as we offer these and the prayers of our hearts, trusting in your compassion made known through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise as you are able. The peace of Christ be with you always. Let us glimpse a sign of God's coming kingdom in the peace we share with one another. rise as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is our duty and delight that we should everywhere and always offer thanks and praise to you, O God, through Jesus Christ, who came not to condemn the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. And so with the church on earth, all creation and the host of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you, do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin, do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your coming kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. In this place of grace, all are welcome to the table of grace. If you wish to receive a blessing at the railing, simply fold your arms. If you're communing from your pew, I invite you at this time to take out your communable and follow my lead. This tradition teaches that though God in Christ fills all things, God comes to us in a special way, a loving way, an accepting way, a forgiving way, in, with, and under the bread and the wine of Holy Communion, the site where God in Christ has been promised to meet us. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ given for you. Come and taste the joy of God. You may be seated.
Please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. Gracious God, in you we live and move and have our being. With your word and this meal of grace, you have nourished our life together and renewed us for life in the world. Strengthen us to show your love and serve others in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated for announcements. Good morning once more, and so nice to see each of you here. We have a number of things that are just about to happen in this congregation, and they are all very exciting. But first, if you are new or relatively new to, the, to our worship, please be sure to fill out a Connect card uh, in the pew in front of you. We also have prayer cards for prayer requests. Thank you uh, for all who joined this morning for Cantor Kyle's Pickup Choir. That was fantastic. We are grateful for your gifts uh, and your voice, especially uh, in this ministry. Two new groups are beginning. Uh, the first listed here is Saturday Morning Seekers. That is being coordinated by Dylan and Jackie. Would you raise your hands? This Next Saturday, rather, uh, October 7th, from 9.30 to 11, there will be a time for brief fellowship for the first half hour, and then a discussion on topics of interest for people who like to ask the big questions. This uh, group meets once a month, the first Saturday of every month, and we look forward, uh, hopefully, to growing this expression of our ministry for providing fellowship and to give uh, ourselves a space to ask the questions I mentioned. So thank you to Dylan and Jackie for coordinating this. Please spread the word. If you know someone who is on the periphery or the edges of the church who likes to ask questions, or if you know somebody sitting in the pew who likes to ask questions, all are welcome. We would love to see you there. Next, I'd like to invite forward Chelsea and Ilium. Some of you may remember when uh, Vanity Kao, our former children and youth ministry coordinator, resigned that, uh, that God turns obstacles into opportunities, and that is no more evident than here. Meeting with Chelsea and Ilium, I discovered their willingness to expand their role at Queen Anne Lutheran Church such that they are no longer just nursery care providers, they are also our young adult youth ministry coordinators. They will be uh, coordinating the first of a five-part Bible study, the first and third Wednesday of each month, here at the church at 6 p.m. this coming Wednesday. If you know anyone under 25 and over 18, please encourage and invite them to attend. We expect a large group for uh, this particular effort, and we're excited to see where it goes. If you'd like to say a quick word, either one, please do. Hi, folks. I'm Ilium. Oh, so hi. Hi, I'm Chelsea. Nice to meet you guys. 
Um, we, <laughs> this is so high. We go to school at Seattle Pacific University, and we're just very blessed that Pastor Dan asked us to be a part of the college Bible ministry. So like he said, if you guys know any college students that want to be a part of the ministry and just to fellowship and learn more about God with Pastor Dan and us, like, please let, please let us know. But yeah, nice to meet you guys. Thank you. I am so excited about this, uh, this new ministry. Uh, over the last few months, we've been talking a lot about the assets of our church, and one of those assets is our location. We're just a mile away from SPU. Be on the lookout for the possibility as well of programming beginning at uh, Aegis, uh, living on, this, uh, on Dravis Street, uh, more to come. At this point, we're glad simply to introduce these two new ministry uh, ministries of the church. There is room at the table. We've heard a lot about the table uh, this morning. There is room at the table. We have a table for 10 people at the Hope of the, on the Horizon Gala Dinner on Friday, October 6th at the Seattle Aquarium at 6.30 p.m. to help support New Horizons ministry. Please sign up in the narthex. I have signed up. A couple others have signed up but most of our table is empty, and we simply cannot have that. The, the gala itself is actually quite enjoyable. It usually features the executive director of New Horizons, uh, Rob Stewart, who, as some of you know, is an incredible speaker. It will be a really nice evening, and it's a great way for us to support this, uh, this particular uh, effort on the part of New Horizons. So again, if you are interested, please join us for that. I'd like to invite forward at this time Mark Opplinger, who will say a quick word about the Triangle Project Appeal. Good morning. Um, Yes, we have an appeal. We have this beautiful project that's been designed. Uh, we reviewed it as a congregation earlier this year. We uh, unanimously, unanimously, or I should say almost unanimously, approved moving forward with soliciting the funding for this project. We need a leader. We need somebody to lead the appeal campaign. We have lots of folks in the wings who are willing to help but we need somebody to be point person for that. So if you or somebody you know, you can ask for a friend, please let me know uh, who might be willing or who you would recommend to take on that role. If you have any other questions about the design or the process, uh, there's quite a bit of information in the bulletin today as well as in the quill, but I'm happy to answer any questions. Lisa's also here who can also ask, uh, answer questions. Thank you. Just a few uh, final things to share first. As Mark said, the new edition of the quill is available. We have copies of it outside on the round narthex table. We also have, as of last week, our brand new forum catalog, which, uh, which I, I, I hope intrigues uh, you. We have two forums coming up later this month after completing the three-part series on AI. We will turn next to a brief history of Christian socialism. 
with Dr. Matt Bellinger, a member of Queen Anne Lutheran from SPU. And then on the 22nd, Dr. Jeff Robbins will return via Zoom to talk about fascism, Christian nationalism, and the death of God. Why these topics at this time? October, as you know, is the month uh, on the eve of elections. And so uh, we wish uh, throughout uh, every October to talk about um, topics related to politics. So Christian socialism, fascism, Christian nationalism, and the death of God, what could be more fun? Please join us for those forums later this month. Finally, after the service, office hours this week will be posted. The office will be open throughout the week, but fewer hours. Barb is away until Friday, so please observe that. And if you need to reach me, of course, you can always do so by calling or texting if it's an urgent matter. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? And let me answer this final question that you are probably all asking. What happens to the dead between now and the consummation of God's kingdom at the end of history? Well, Paul has an answer for that. He says they have fallen asleep, which explains why even today we say of the departed that they rest in peace. Personally, that's been a challenge for me. I talk to my mom every day, but I take comfort that she is no longer in pain and rests in peace. I wish the same comfort for each of you in the face of loss. Please rise as you are able for the benediction. You leave this service and this kingdom community to re-enter a world that is driven more by self-interest than care and concern for others. Receive God's blessing that you may take the kingdom with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Our sending hymn, The Spirit Sends Us Forth to Serve, is number 551.